And so with that being said tonight, let's get into God's word. Uh, one more thing. This Sunday, um, Brother Aaron Breeze from IWC will be with us this Sunday. So don't miss out. Come and join us. Uh, God has a word for your life. And I've known Brother Aaron for uh, some years now uh, in our ministers meeting that we have every quarter uh, of the year with Pastor Tim at his church. Um, he is there. And so I've, I've been meaning to get him down. And so I reached out to him this Sunday if he would be with us. And he will be with us. Church, invite somebody. It's going to be a great time. Um, a great time to receive God's word. Amen. So this Sunday, 1030 a.m., uh, Brother Aaron Breeze will be with us. With that being said, let's get into God's word. And if you have your Bible there, with you open up to Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 through 28. Again, that's Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 through 28. And when you have that, just say amen with me. Nehemiah 16 through 28. Starting to get hot. How many know that? It is getting hot already. The other day, Mark came out with sweats. He, he walked out. We were doing here work here at the church, and he came out with gray sweats. I was like, what? You need to get saved, Mijo, because it is hot. Came out with gray sweats and a t-shirt as if it was still February, March. <laughs> um, just want to remind you, if you're still putting on sweats, quit putting on sweats. It's too hot. For all the Mexican families, caldo is still okay, just as long as you have um, the AC on. Amen? Um, the fan or the AC. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 through 28, and the Word of God reads like this. It says, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are God, ready to forgive. How many know that He is God, ready to forgive? Amen? I think sometimes we forget about that. We forget that He is the God that is ready to forgive. Amen? He's not only willing to forgive, but He's ready to forgive. God doesn't need time to warm up. When we come to surrender to Him, He is ready at that moment. Surrenderance. You know, I promise you, the moment you decide to surrender... You'll find that God is ready. He's ready. He doesn't need to warm up to feel good about why He's going to forgive you. <laughs> Faith. Amen. We believe. And God is readily available in His forgiveness. And it says, But you are ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not, uh, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, 
nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. And their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. And you multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. How many know the children of Israel did that? Amen. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. Gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering they cried out to you and you heard from heaven and according to your great mercies you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But verse 28 says, But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of the enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times, and many times, you delivered them according to your mercies. And many times, you delivered them according to your mercies. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word tonight. Lord, your word is not a lie. It is true. I know that because of my life. And many times, because of your mercy, you have delivered me. Father, this evening, Lord, let us be reminded that because of your mercies, many times you have delivered us. Let us not forget, God, because if it is because of your mercy we have been delivered many times. Father, teach us how to cherish. Teach us how to value your great mercy, your great love towards us. Even in our disobedience, Father, that we would be reminded, that being reminded of how powerful your grace is, even in our condition of sin, that we would be reminded, Father God, that you never stop loving your people. You never stop loving us, God. That that love that is reminded to us would bring us home, Father God, and give us strength to overcome weaknesses in our lives, God. That the love that you have for us and the many times you have delivered us, even when we had turned our backs against you, God. That it would be a reminder to us, Father God, that as long as there is breath in our lungs, you are 
pursuing us. You are pursuing us with your grace. And if there is any hope that man has, Father, it is your grace. It is not philosophy. It is not rules and regulations. Father, it is not books. The only hope that man has is your grace and your mercy. And Father, we trust in you tonight. Give us your word, Lord, as the manna for today, Father. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people say, Amen. You know, you know this portion of God's word seems very familiar. Because it's interesting that when the season of our lives show greatness, it's when we're the most vulnerable. When we have, we seek God not. When we have not, we seek God in greatness. When we are winning is when we are the most susceptible to losing. In our greatest abundance is when we are at the greatest point of starvation. We suffer because the consequences of our decisions bring a fruit. Amen? So in our wrong decisions, we get to a place where we begin to live out the fruit of our wrong choices. And then at that point, we begin to call out to God. How many have done that? In our wrong choices, you get to a place where you got to call out to God. Amen? You call out to God and... God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful. I, I can't say that enough. God is faithful. <laughs> God is faithful. That in our failure, God never turns His face away from us. And I'll tell you what made that possible. The blood that was shed on the cross. The blood that was shed on the cross has assured that when we come to God in faith, come on somebody, when we come to God in faith, God will not turn His face from us. Amen? The psalmist David, he said, take not your spirit from me. You remember that Psalms 51? It was the, it was the reflection of what he was feeling at the fall with Bathsheba. He said, take not your spirit from me. Well, you know, God will not neglect giving His Spirit to the person that is desiring to repent. And see, this is the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the mercy that we have at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, you know, it is crazy to believe something like this. Not a single person in this place is perfect. Not a single person in here will not sin tomorrow. Every single one of us will come to shortcomings. If you believe you had a good Thursday tomorrow, Friday might come with a weakness. Come on somebody, bless the name of the Lord. I, I say this so that you won't think that when failure comes to your life that you've, you should give up on all of your Christian life. No. There will be stumbles. There will be falls. There will be weaknesses. There will be times where... We will be tested in our physical bodies that will bring a lack of faith in our walk. There have been times where I have gone through the season of testing and it has tempted me to have lack of faith. And I have, la have lacked faith at times in my life. I have found 
the pressure of going through something physical or going through something mentally or spiritually and being lacking in my faith. Nevertheless, God understands what I am without Him. God understands what I am without His grace. If God did not understand who I am without His grace, He would leave me in my starvation. He would leave me in my sin. He would leave me in my weakness. But because His grace is sufficient, come on somebody, bless the name of the Lord because God's grace is sufficient. We are not left alone. The person that is feeling weak, don't you worry, God is right there and He will never turn His face away from the one that comes to Him in faith. How many of you have come to Him in faith and in five minutes you fail again? You didn't come to Him in faith five minutes before saying in five minutes I'm going to fail God. It just happened that way. Look at, Just think about this concept. God knows what we were going to do five minutes later, right? Come on, so say amen if you agree with me. God knew what we were going to do five minutes later, yet He did not neglect us five minutes before when we repented. So that tells me that tomorrow God knows the weaknesses of my life. God knows where I will be struggling at. Nevertheless, His grace does not turn away. He is ready to forgive. He is ready with grace. He is ready with mercy. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What, a, what something crazy of a, of a teaching is this, that God is abounding in, in steadfast love. That is the reason why you are able to feel God's grace right now. We suffer Again, because of the consequences of our actions. And so we call out to God. And the enemy always wants us to say, why call out to him again? The, the enemy always wants us to feel, look at you calling out to him again. Let me say this, don't wait until you are in trouble. Don't wait until you're on the brink of losing everything. Don't wait until the aftershock of your bad decisions. Don't wait until you're in a hole that you can't climb out of. Don't wait until you're in the spotlight of shame. Don't wait until you're living in your famine. Don't wait until you're, you know, you're, you're in an exhaustive drought. Then you decide to call out to God. You know, we intentionally break God's heart. We run, cheat on Him. We act in some way like the drunk person that while intoxicated with alcohol, whatever the alcohol is for each and every one of us. But we say some things that we hurt, that hurts loved ones. And who is our loved one? Well, I would think that God is. And sometimes while we are intoxicated in the, the carnal thinking, while we're intoxicated in the flesh, we do things that hurt the heart of our God. Then all of a sudden we sleep on the damage. Look at this. We sleep on the damage. And then we wake up the next morning after the hangover. We wake up the next morning and it's kind of like we got to face the person in the kitchen. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? After we're done sitting, there's a hangover. How many know that? I, I love thinking about it like this. Because we, now we're back to our senses after indulging in the alcohol of our of our flesh, right? You say, well, pastor, I don't drink. But when you give in to your flesh, after you come back to your senses, there is a 
crudo stage where you're like barely coming back and you start realizing all of the ugly things you did while you were under the influence of your flesh. Right? Oh, man, I can't remember. Man, I, I kind of remember going through Taco Bell. <laughs> right? You, or you grab your phone immediately. Oh, oh, man, what did I say? I remember texting that person. What did I tell him? You have like 30 text messages. Like you text everybody in the church, you know, like. Text all of your family members what, what you felt was wrong with them, you know. <laughs> right? After, after, after all the damage is done, we got to face the person in the kitchen. We, we got to face the, the person spiritually in our lives. And, and in that moment, we're like, I can't do that. So what do we do? We, we stay in our rooms as long as we can or, you know, running from the room to the restroom quick. You know, how many times do we avoid God like this? Running from the room to the restroom and, you know, avoiding God because we're like, oh, man, I know I messed up. I, 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 I messed it up. You ruined something while you were on the influence of your flesh, while you were under the influence of your carnal thinking, while you were under the influence of your sin. You know, we ruin things. And, and you know, and, and I want to just say this, you know, uh, it's no longer going to work for you to say, I'm sorry, I was drunk. We, we blame being drunk to be another side of us. No, it was you. It was just something that brought it out. And see, sin brings out you. Sin brings out you. You say, well, man, pastor, you know, and even righteousness brings out you. Amen. The difference is that one has collateral damage. <laughs> right? The other one is liberating. Amen. When the Spirit of God brings things out to light, it is liberating. Liberating. We become free at what God brings out to light. Of Scripture, something that's all too familiar. We see the shame of the people, but then the moment that God starts to show them once again what they are, uh, uh, what they are entitled to being the people of God. They once again go back into sin because of complacency. And just, you know, I want to just title this. You know, there is a problem with comfortability in the Christian. The Christian cannot have too much comfortability. The Christian cannot have too much complacency. The Christian cannot have too much of, you know, uh, rest. Because the moment that we have too much rest, we are reminded we start to get wild. We start to get wild. We, we start to lose focus of what really matters in our faith. Some of us, we want comfortability. We want a life with no problems. We want a life with no attacks. Amen. We want a life with no reason, no need to pray in the morning. If you didn't have a problem, you wouldn't pray in the morning. If you didn't have that co-worker that got on your nerves and made you want to get in the flesh, you wouldn't pray in your car before going into work. Right? Lord, give me patience. Right? If, if you didn't feel the pressure financially, you would not pray before you opened up the light bill. Amen. Say amen. Amen. Because you say, man, I, I tried to save light this, this month. 
Hopefully, it's less than what I have left over. Right? <laughs> but in these times, we figure out that what? We figure out the need for God. That there is, that there is no room for complacency in, the, in the, the Christian life. Let me tell you something. You cannot mature in an area until you figure out in that area how you do not need to be complacent. A mature person does not need complacency. A mature person in the Lord Jesus Christ does not need breaks. Prayer is my lifestyle. Worship is my lifestyle. You know, and so reading the word of God is my lifestyle. That is my lifestyle. I don't do it when I'm in trouble. I do it because it's my lifestyle. But many of us, we use these things because we want to feel strong in the Lord. And we got the wrong impression of why we pray. We have the wrong impression as to why we read the word. We have the wrong impression as to why we fast. We have the wrong impression as to why we congregate. Amen. We have the wrong impression as to why we are faithful in some of the things that God has called us for. We do this, these things to feel strong. When in reality, it's not to feel strong. It's so that you would understand that it is your life. If you did it to feel strong, you'll always turn the switch off and on. Amen. If you, if you read the word to feel strong, you're treating the word of God like a light switch. If you pray to feel strong, then you're using prayer as a light switch. Sooner or later, you'll turn off the light. You'll switch it off and you'll become complacent. It's interesting to me because Elijah, this story of this portion concords with this point here. But Elijah, the moment that he became fearful of who? What's her name? The, the moment that Elijah became fearful with who? Jezebel. That Jezebel spirit took him in fear. He went running away, right? He went running away. What was the first thing he did? He dropped his servant off. Then after he dropped his servant off, he asked to die. Went out to the wilderness and, and in that, under that tree, he asked the Lord he wanted to die. And I'll tell you something. It is interesting to me that the first things that people want to drop when they are becoming complacent is the responsibility. The moment people become complacent in their spiritual life, they begin to drop responsibility. They don't want to pray no more. They don't want to come to church anymore. They don't want to read the word anymore. You know, they feel I'm strong enough. Got the wrong impression already because it's not about if, to do it if you're strong. Let me read enough for the week. Let me pray enough for the week. Let me read enough for the month. Let me pray enough for the month. And then the enemy catches you slipping. He catches you slipping. And see, some of you, have, you're not figuring it out yet. The enemy is catching you slipping all the time. Because you're thinking that you pray and you read the word to stay strong for a certain amount of days. Like my tank is full. No, this is daily. We, we do what we do because it is a lifestyle. You know, because God, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a big truth in itself. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the abiding place of God. Come on, somebody. Bless the name of the Lord. And so I don't do it, you know, to uh, complete with the strength of my life. This is not like, did I drink water today? You know, this, this is not like, you know, did I, uh, did I feel my, did I even drink my vitamins today? You know, the, the word of truth is our being. 
Communication with God should be our being. Our relationship with God should be our being. It should be our substance. It should be the purpose of why we live. We're never going to impact the world until we stop treating God like a vitamin pill. Or a supplement. We, 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 we treat God like, you know, can I have some uh, a penicillin? After we get the infection. <laughs> right? And we feel like we got to take penicillin for 14 days. Pray for 14 days. Read the word for 14 days. Fast for 14 days. You'll see it go away. Then you get comfortable again and get another infection. What, what kind of Christian life is this that we're never thriving? We're never strong in the Lord. We're always getting rehabilitated and then debilitated. Let me say it again. We're always getting rehabilitated then debilitated. Why? Because we get rehabilitated and then we get soft in our, uh, in our responsibilities. We get soft in our devotion. We get soft in our passion for God. You know, and this is the problem that we see here in the people of God in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9. He, um, uh, it says, but after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And after they had rest, they did evil again. Now I understand why God does not allow you to get comfortable in life. He always has us at the tip of our toes. For in this life, we are still in the world. How many believe that with me? How many can agree? We are still in the world. In the flesh, which will always be contrary to the desires of God. And I have always wondered about this verse and how it becomes true. 1 Peter 2.3. And it says, surely you have tasted that the Lord is good. Don't tell me you haven't tasted the Lord is good. You have tasted the Lord is good. Why do we keep going back? If you have tasted that the Lord is good, why do you keep going back? It tells me that we have tasted that the Lord is good, but quickly we lose memory of how good the Lord tastes. So much that we feel, I'm okay. I'm all right. I can take a rest. I can take a break. And then the enemy catches you slipping again. Daniel chapter 9 verses 9 says, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against Him. The reality is that in success, we really start slacking. Great hunger comes when one has not eaten. How many know? Great hunger comes when someone hasn't eaten. And as he is eating, look at this, as he is eating, little by little he begins to slow down on what he's eating because eventually... He's getting full. But I believe with all of my heart that a revival is here, church. I believe that with all of my heart that there is a revival in your life that's about to take place. I believe that there is a hunger that will not end in your life if you allow it to be. This is not something when you turn the timer on. It, God has been waiting for this type of hunger to be activated in your life. And it is when you go from the thinking of just get by to the this is who I am in the Lord. I am a place where God can abide. I am a open door that is never closed to God. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. I'm, I'm tired of going from life to uh, moment to moment in my life. And I need God to continually abide in me. It's a time for revival. Declare that in this house, some say, who's getting saved? 
I say many will get saved. But it is more a time to rekindle the desires for your God. And this evening, I'm here to tell you, don't die out, church. Do not die out. Don't throw in your towel. You needed to hear that tonight. Don't die out. Don't let your lamp turn off. Don't throw in your towel. Shake off the sluggish walk already. Steer up the gift of God that is in you by the laying of hands. Steer up God's grace and the measure of God's grace in your life. Don't get comfortable. Something mighty is about to take place in your midst, but you got to wake up. And you might say, well, I'm trying to avoid the person in the kitchen. Don't you avoid. Get to a place of repentance. Get to a place of restoration. Get to a place of being, you know, being built up back in the faith in the Lord. And what can we learn here in Nehemiah concerning the process of the people of Israel and the way God dealt with this people according to returning back to rebellion? Number one is this, and write this down. We learn here about the root of rebellion. I want to talk to you about how comfortability steers up rebellion in the life of a Christian. Again, how complacency and comfortability steer up rebellion. Complacency in the Christian life steers up rebellion. And I want to talk to you about these, this spirit of rebellion that arises in the life of a Christian. And verse 17, read with me what it says. Verse 17 says, they, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you perform among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Verse 17, they refused to obey. How many times do we refuse to obey? God, is, God wants to teach you why you refuse to obey. This is not something like uh, it took over. No. You refuse to obey. God gives you a commandment. God gives you a directive. And your choice is to refuse. I don't want it. I refuse to obey. Why do we refuse to obey? Why, where does the root of this rebellion come from? Well, many times it can be generational. You know, verse 16, it says here, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. You know, note, they and our fathers. Sometimes we live in a life of rebellion because we have been taught the rebellion. We have been taught to live neglecting of God's word. Now many of us, we come into the church and all of a sudden it contradicts what mom and dad taught us. It contradicts what people we revere in life, what they taught us. We start reading the word of truth and it starts contradicting what the school taught us. It starts contradicting what, you know, we learn in society. Many times the root of rebellion is something that we have generationally adopted. Generationally adopted. I know some people that don't attend a church or will never attend a church because generationally they've been taught not to. 
The moment they start to feel that need of, of being in a church, they remind themselves generationally of what has been taught to them. Some people that make an excuse as to continue to, you know, do things that hinder or are grieving to the Holy Spirit, but still have a relationship with God. And they've been taught generationally that those things are okay. But continually we are confronted that these things don't please God. They grieve God. Amen? And so we choose to what? Live a life in rebellion. I remember Pastor David, he mentioned a story when he came to the Lord. He, he said, I, I love to gamble. And I, I'll be able to say it because he said in front of everybody. It wasn't something he said to me in secret. He said, when I came to the Lord, I loved to go to Table Mountain. I loved to go to the go slot or do gambling. And that was kind of like some of the first, the very principles of when I came to the Lord, the very first things that God began to convict me about. Began to convict my spirit about. There's some people that still buy scratchers after church on Sunday. <laughs> well, I tithe. Like if your 90 belongs to you, it still belongs to God. It's still with the penny and the scratcher right there, you know. Oh, man, I lost again. It was only a dollar. Well, a dollar that could have been used for something different. I don't know, part of, some, part of the gallon of gas you just bought. But don't, don't get mad at me because, you know, sometimes we carry things generationally that we don't want to get rid of. And God is telling us that's a root of rebellion. We've got to come to the realization that there are some things. How many know this? There are things that are displeasing to God. That, you know, they, they, they grieve the Holy Spirit in our relationship. And God is trying to teach us that we need to start dealing with the generational curses that we have. We need to start dealing with the generational rebellion that we have. The rebellion that we have carried generationally from they and our fathers. Verse 16 says, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously. Well, I wouldn't say that the children wouldn't be that way, but monkey see, monkey do. Right? Monkey see, monkey do. They already know. They had seen they and their fathers act presumptuously against the Lord. We need to start getting a grip on this church. We need to start getting a grip on this. In your life, you need to start getting a grip on this. Don't do it because you see other people stopping. Do it because you know the Holy Spirit is grieved in your life. Start obeying God. Not because, you know, you, you see a bunch of people in a trend. No, start obeying God because, you know, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Or it pleases God to do this. Because if you do it for people... The moment they're not around, you'll start slacking. The moment they're not around, you'll start getting lazy in your walk. You pray when they're around, but when they're not around, you don't pray. You read the word when they're around, or you look so spiritual when they're around, but when they're not around, you're carnal. Many times we don't respond to obey God because our, our rebellion is generational. We have been taught these things. We have carried these things generationally. The root of rebellion can be generational. Number two, 
The root of rebellion can be a lack of gratitude. Look what verses 18 through 21 says. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who you brought out of Egypt, who brought us up out of Egypt, and had committed great blasphemies. You, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness, and the pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them the way by which they should go. Verse 20, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. In 41 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. How many times has God come through for you like this and you're still rebellious? It, you know, we're still rebellious. It's like we don't see how good God is. Sometimes we need to feel the tires that are on our car. And sometimes we need to bask in the beauty of the vehicle that we have. Look at people standing at the bus stop. Why don't you Google unemployment? Google the percentage of unemployed people so you can be grateful for the job that you've got. You know, Google what somebody makes in a day in, a, in another country so you can remind yourself how grateful you should be with a check. Yeah. Remind yourself of how healthy you are. Sometimes we are not grateful enough. And because we are not grateful enough, we become rebellious. We feel like we're, we are non-existent to, you know, to see how God has really blessed us. How about you take a moment right now to think of how God has blessed you and how you take advantage of that. How you do not realize how blessed you are. You are so blessed. You are tremendously blessed. I am blessed in Jesus Christ. I am blessed in my life. I am not lacking. My children wake up to food on the table. God has provided for us. Many times we're rebellious. And a good way of knowing being rebellious and in that spirit of rebellion is lacking being grateful. Isn't it interesting that when we're not grateful, we start to become rebellious? We, we start, you know, being haughty in our spirit, having a haughty spirit, prideful spirit. More than, more than anything, I, those are people that are rebellious. All of a sudden, God needs to remove manna and water to remind us that He gives it to us. Right? The river dries up, and then we're reminded, God is my water. All of a sudden, the clouds no longer throw bread down. God is my manna. You know? We're reminded, what? That God is enough. And Job 1.21 declares, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came, and naked I'm going to go. But blessed be the name of the Lord. 
The lack of gratitude many times is a sign of rebellion. But not only that, being consumers and not producers. It's a fruit of rebellion. The root of rebellion displays being a consumer and not a producer. Just let me, let me uh, give you a, an example of this. James chapter 1 verses 22 says, But be doers of the word and not only hearers deceiving yourselves. Again, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Amen. This is telling us that a lot of people like to get it in but don't like to do it. We, we, we like to hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it but we don't like to put it in action. And faith without works is dead. Come on somebody. Faith without works is dead. Now we shouldn't determine that because of works we are saved. But our salvation gives fruit of action. Come on somebody. Our salvation gives fruit of action. And so faith without works is dead. In other words, God is telling us when you got faith and you are living in faith and you are living pleasing God then automatically fruit begins to come from your life. Action of the Word of God. Amen? Action. And so many times we're consumers and not producers. We consume the Word, but we don't produce action for the Word. We know a lot of verses, but we don't produce action for the verses. It's the fruit of rebellion. What is the face of rebellion? Look what verse 26 says to us. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you and they committed great blasphemies. That is a verse of man. It's, look at how people act when they're rebellious. Look at, just think about, and I see this all the time as a pastor. You know, when people deal with rebellion, the spirit, what does it do? It is a disobedient spirit that casts the law of God behind our backs. But not only that, we kill the prophets. We kill the oracle. We try to kill its effect, uh, efficacy. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We try to kill the efficacy of the word of God. We try to murder its efficacy. We try to murder, you know, its uh, impact on our lives. We're running away from the impact of God's word. We're running away from the finger of God. Look at this. They cast the law behind their back. They kill the prophets who had warned them. Look at, we receive warnings and we deny it. We kill the warnings that was telling us to turn back to God. And then we create, we commit, uh, people commit in rebellion great blasphemies. Great blasphemies. Isaiah 30 verse 1 declares, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not with my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. You know, I was uh, looking at a post and this person was talking about how it seems like every month sin always makes a reason for the month. <laughs> now, now all of a sudden June's Pride Month. Right? It's all of a sudden it's Pride Month now. And, and, and there was this, this post and famous pastor 
put it up and he's talking about how he's pastored his whole life and how he has learned that Jesus never uh, uh, made anybody feel to be something that they're uh, not. He never denied anybody from, you know, uh, whether they changed or didn't change. And so we ought to accept those that deal with homosexuality because the purpose of it was to, to prove Pride Month of June, which is, in my mind, a bogus, something bogus for me. But I, I, I put there and I said, there was 100% of the moment that anybody that came in contact with Jesus always felt the feeling of sin no more. Anybody that came in contact with Jesus upon leaving the presence of Jesus, I believe 100% of them felt sin no more. When Jesus receives, He receives us as we are. In our sin, in our rebellion. But the grace of God is so powerful that it says sin no more. You see, religion will say sin no more and won't give you a remedy on how. Again, let me say, religion will say sin no more, but won't tell you how. But Jesus Christ was bold enough, courageous enough to say sin no more. And then he went to the cross and made available the power over the sting of death. You see this? He gave power over the sting of death. For the wages of sin is death. He gave us power over this death by what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. But the face of rebellion always adds sin to sin. They always make an excuse to do something and add to this and add to that or the okay of doing things. They always use one verse to do what you do. One verse that contradicts the other 150 verses. <laughs> like if, you know, God is double-minded. Well, there's one verse that says, in, well, you give them 125 and they're like, well, one verse says it like this. Well, if you want to play that game, well, then there's more of the don't do it than the, there is of the do it. <laughs> right? It's interesting how the flesh always makes an excuse to stay in the sin. Not only stay in the sin, but always uses truth and twists it to continue to add to the sin. Jude talks about this and he talks it about it, entitling it as apostasy. He calls it sensually taking advantage of the grace of God. Twisting the word of truth and the face of rebellion will always add sin to sin. Why? Because it hates correction. Sin hates correction. Rebellion hates correction. But Proverbs chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. I remember a pastor said, don't say stupid, please, on the pulpit. I said, well, that's what the word says. I don't think you'd want me to say the Hebrew word that was there. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, 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 it's much more <laughs> descriptive. 
But he who hates reproof is stupid. Look at this. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. Look at this. The root of the righteous will never be moved. Rebellion, the face of rebellion is that it hates correction. Not only does it hate correction, but it lacks reverence. Jude 1.8 says, Yet in like manner these people also rely on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. You know, Jude was talking about an apostate spirit, an insubordinate people that know truth and purposefully deny it. You know, abandoners of the faith is what an apostate is. And just let me say this. Rebellion holds no value for respect. Rebellion will never see any value in respect. When somebody is in rebellion, don't expect to get any respect from them. Don't expect to get any respect. Why? Because it does not like correction. You know, and at times, you know, I've, I've tried to minister and and some people, they don't like correction and they, they push against. They get angry. They lose respect. They lose reverence at the word of truth. I remember talking to a young man that I didn't pastor, but when I was a, an associate pastor here, a young man, many years ago, first couple years of ministry. And he told me, hey man, I, I want to get my life in order. I want to get my life together. I said, let's do it. He said, I got a court date coming up and, you know, can you pray with me that God would give me favor so I can get my family in order and so I can get married and I can be a dad. And I said, let's pray for it. Two weeks before his court date, then he calls me. He says, hey, hey bro, do you have a tie that I can put on for my court date? Week in advance. Do you have a tie and a t-shirt, uh, uh, a button-up shirt that I can put on for court date? I said, yes, of course. What color? He said, no, just plain white, you know, with a black tie or, you know, a red tie or whatever the case may be. I said, you know what, how about I go buy you the tie you want? And we went and gave him the shirt and he bought the tie. And, and all of a sudden, you know, he's, he goes to court and then a week later they called him back in and they told him that, Charges were dropped and had an opportunity. And he said, man, the prayers worked. You know, we, man, you know, God is doing something in my life. And now I told him, now, you know, do what you said you'd say you'd do for God. God has shown you he is able. Now it's time for you to display that you will stay with your word. Come to church. Be faithful. Be disciple. And he was here a month, faithful, every service. Then all of a sudden he changed his number. No longer capable of talking to anymore. Y me lo encontré at In-N-Out. I seen him at In-N-Out. Boy, his face got red. One of them, them dark Mexicans, right? Always had a tan, but he got red. And he looked at me and he, I said, 
What happened? He goes, oh, no, I'm just going through some things. Hey, can you pray for me? Oh, <laughs> Can you pray for me? You know, I caught this case, you know, and I got court in two months, you know. I'd... And I said, God was trying to show you that he could keep you from those things if you were to remain faithful. I know, I know, it's just, it's hard, it's hard. And I said, so hard that you want sin? No, I don't want to sin. You know, well, what is it? Well, you, you, don't, you don't sound too loving. Tell me like that. In, in the middle of in and out. Boy, you don't sound too loving for being a Christian. I said, you weren't saying that when I went to go buy you a shirt and a tie and, you know, be there for you on your court date. Rebellion does not like correction. <laughs> Hates correction. It despises correction because the flesh wants to keep us stupid. Come on, somebody. And because of it, my people perish for lack of knowledge. The moment the truth of God's word comes into a life, the enemy starts trembling because knowledge comes to you. Wisdom of God comes to you. Freedom and power and authority comes to your life. But if the enemy can keep you from getting the truth of God's word, he'll keep you stupid the rest of your life. Come on, somebody, you'll keep us dumb for the rest of our life. And this is, you know, what rebellion, it hates correction and it hates reverence. Does not like reverence. Rebellion holds no value for respect. But number three, and I finish here, verse 28, read with me. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Somebody say, God's mercy is great. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 10 through 11 says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber, and want like an armed man. What is the pattern of rebellion? Laziness and oversleeping. But not the oversleeping we think. Duerma todo el día. No, not that oversleeping. <laughs> the type of oversleeping that God is trying to explain to us here is not taking into account your spiritual relationship with God. Many times we don't take into consideration our relationship with God. We begin to slumber. Just let me tell you before you get into your deep sleep. While you're barely dazing off, wake up. <laughs> wake up. Maybe you're not in a deep sleep yet. Maybe your eyes are like this. Wake up now. Wake up now. Because when we fall asleep, we begin to do damage. When we slumber, we begin to do damage. And the reason why damage is done is because we're in that sleeping state. We're oversleeping. You know, the concept is laziness. Taking no initiative. Especially for the things of God. The pattern of rebellion is displayed in oversleeping. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in rest. I believe that God makes us lie down. 
and green pasture. But it is when God makes us lie down. Amen. That's the concept of that verse. He maketh me lie down. Not I get to decide when to lay down. If it were up to us when to lay down, we'd lay down all the time. How many agree with me? Right? We'd look at the fence that needs to be fixed. It's time to lay down. It's time to lay down. It's time to pray. Oh, no, it's time to lay down. It's... The Bible says, He maketh me lay down. The rest of God does not come at our timing and our decision. It comes at God's timing and decision because He knows us better than ourselves. He knows we want to close our eyes because we want to be lazy, not because we truly need rest. He maketh me lay down. I want, to just, want you to just understand this. The pattern of rebellion is no longer resting in God. In Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. First Chronicles 16, verse 11 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. How many know seek His presence continually? You say, Pastor, why, why a word like this, a pattern of rebellion? Why, why this type of word? Because many times we can't even blame it on the devil. Many times we are where we are because we're getting too comfortable. Have you ever had a person in your life where you have to tell them, hey, you're getting too comfortable, right? They, 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 you invited them over your house twice and then on the third time they're going opening your refrigerator. <laughs> right. right, you invite them into your and then they start putting their feet on your couch. You know, you're like, inside you're burning up. Like, what are you doing? I believe many times God tells us when we're getting too comfortable. When we're getting too comfortable... Don't tell me the Lord doesn't alert you when you're getting too comfortable. The Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit's job to alert you when you are getting too comfortable. Hey, you're touching the doorknob already. Right? You're touching sin's doorknob already. Stop. The Lord knows why you're going like this. <laughs> I like that analogy because we all play this, you know, while we're talking. Yeah, and I was saying, you know... Um, you know, hey, uh, right? <laughs> Getting closer, crouching. Sin is always crouching out there. We know what's on the other side of the door, right? We play off. The Holy Spirit tells what are you doing? What? Why are you getting closer? I'm not getting close. I've been standing here the whole time. No, you were standing over there. You, you're getting close to the door. No, I'm, I've been standing right here the whole time. Have you ever, you know, did, did, you've been standing. Sometimes Jaden, you know, I catch him. Lola's in the, the, the little dining area. We have, two, we have two, we have a breakfast nook and we have a, a dining area. And, you know, the day we buy cookies, we want to save the cookies for all the week. Cut them in little pie squares, you know. Or they, they get a little piece after lunch, you know, after dinner. They, they enjoy it. But, you know, sometimes I'll, 
I'm watching TV and on the side of my eye, I see Jaden on the wall going like this. Like if I don't see him. <laughs> and that's how you are sometimes. And God says, hey, where are you, what are you doing? Huh? Why are you going over there? I wanted to talk to Lola. I go, no, you're lying. You want Because you know where the cookies are at. Right? You know where the cookies are at. And, and I want to just... You know, just remind, the Lord knows when you're getting close. But don't you ever think that the Holy Spirit will not alert you. The Holy Spirit will alert you. When you are creeping close to rebellion. Amen? Creeping close. It's all right. It's all right. The Holy Spirit knows when you're creeping close to rebellion. I want you to stand to your feet. Because I pray that this word has been convicting for you. What are, you, what are you rubbing on, on against the wall towards? <laughs> that the Holy Spirit told you today, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Has the Holy Spirit ever done that to you, Mia? He alerts you when, and, and we got a choice to make. Right? Do we, do we come out transparent and say, God, you're right? Right? Or, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what? There's cookies in the kitchen? I didn't know there was cookies in the kitchen. I, what? You bought cookies? No, I was going to Lola. The Lord knows your motive. The Lord knows your intention. More than anything, the Lord knows your heart. Lord knows your heart. So, today the, the point of the message is don't get too comfortable. Be thankful that God does not allow you to get comfortable in your spiritual walk. Say, Pastor, I, I had, there was a problem today. The Lord's not letting you get comfortable. The Lord wants to keep you on the tip of your toes. Why? Because the moment we get comfortable is the moment we feel like we don't need God. We get too comfortable. This is the message. Just raise your hand with me by faith. In faith, just raise your hand with me. Tonight, where are you getting too comfortable at? Where are you getting too comfortable? Maybe this is a message to tell you to don't stop reading the word. Maybe this message reminded you don't stop praying. Maybe this message reminded you don't let off on the example that God has called you to be for the family members and friends that he has called you to impact. Don't get comfortable. Stay on your guard. God is doing something in your life. And the enemy is always trying to get us to be complacent. To slumber, to sleep. 
and to miss our blessings, miss our opportunities for God to be glorified in our life. Jesus, tonight, that your grace would strengthen us where we are weakening, where we are forgetting. Lord, let us count our blessings. Even if we can't count them all, one remembered is good enough to know that you are with us. Let us recount the times our feet didn't swell. Let us recount the times that in our unfaithfulness you were faithful with manna. Lord, let us be reminded that in the many times of our rebellion, you forgave. You forgave. And right now, Father, you're, you're, you're trying to wake us up before a slumber happens. You're trying to catch our attention before a drifting away happens. Before complacency grabs a hold of our minds. This is the warning. Before complacency grabs our hearts. That we ignore you. That we run away from you. God, I'm tired of running from the bedroom to the restroom. There is freedom in transparency. There is freedom in repentance. Tonight, Father, in my shortcomings, where I am weak, Lord, you are strong. You are strong, God. Right now, Lord, you see my heart. Just as I am, you see your people just as they are. We cannot hide nothing in your presence, Lord. But we are found in your presence, Lord. We are strengthened in your presence. Come on, just ask the Lord for some strength tonight. Ask him for strength. Ask him for strength tonight. Ask him for strength.
Father, we give you thanks tonight for warning. We give you thanks, Lord, for the truth of your word, how to overcome. Spirit of God, do not allow us to become complacent. Steer us up, God, in good works. Steer us up in our faith, God. Steer us up in our gifts, Lord. That we would be reminded, Lord, that we belong to you, not to ourselves. Our lives belong to you, God. Every step we take, every decision we make, it is for your glory, God. Father, where we are forgetting, bring us back, God. You have the power to bring us back. Where we are becoming complacent, God, revive us. Steer us up, God. Rekindle your work in our life. Rekindle your presence in us, God. Rekindle the call upon our lives, God. Where the enemy is allowing us and tempting us, Father. Open our eyes, Father God. Let us see the attack of the enemy. Let us see where we need you at desperately, God. Lord, let not tomorrow's world, let not tomorrow's time of our life be a time of drought. Revive us today, Father, that tomorrow would be a time of abundance again, Father. That tomorrow would be a time of manna, Father. That we would hold on to the blessings, God. And we would be reminded that without you we can do nothing, God. You are the vine. We are the branch. And without you we can do nothing, God. We need you in our lives, Jesus. We need you in our lives and in our walk. In Jesus' name. Father, as we leave this place, let us go in your presence. The peace of your Holy Spirit. Comfort the hearts that are mourning. Comfort the hearts that are going through trial, trials and tribulations, God. Lord, for you are the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord. As we keep our trust in you, Lord, strengthen us, revive us, encourage us, Father. As we prepare a week, Lord, to finish, Father, we will be back Sunday morning to worship you, Lord. To give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen and Amen. There's hope.